Hi there, I'm Alyssa, and thank you for listening to Calm Conversations. So today's episode is going to be speaking a lot about trauma. I recently read a book by Oprah and Bruce Perry about the impact of trauma and adverse childhood experiences on the people we become as adults, and how healing must begin with the right question. That is, what happened to you rather than asking, what's wrong with you? Understanding this can open up understanding around our behavioral patterns, why we are the way we are, and provide a roadmap of sorts for how to heal, repair relationships, and ultimately lead healthier lives. So I'm joined today by a very brave guest. Her name is Anna Williams, who will be sharing with us her story of overcoming trauma, life's challenges, and finding mindfulness, healing, and self-love. So trigger warning for our listeners, Today's topic is going to be pretty heavy. While we may not make any explicit details around these topics, there will be references to sexual abuse, incest, and suicide. So if you need to pause the podcast at any time, please feel free to do so. At Calm Collective Asia, we don't like to shy away from the hard topics. It's all part of mental health and it's all something that we really want to shine a light on. So. I'm going to have a pack of tissue handy. I don't know how this is going to go, so maybe you might want to have a pack of tissue as well. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome my guest. Hi, Anna. Hi. How are you doing? I'm okay. <laughs> a bit nervous. Uh, yeah, but, I'm, but uh, I'm very, very happy to be here, and I'm so grateful to have this platform to be able to share my story with others. Thanks for being here. Would you like to introduce yourselves to the listeners? Sure. Um, my name is Anna Williams. Uh, I uh, am a single mom. I've uh, lived here in Singapore for four and a half years now, and uh, working full time. I'm enthusiastic about mental wellness, about meditation and mindfulness. And uh, for a long while, I've really felt the urgent need to tell this story. And um, as we go along on our podcast, you'll see um, why I feel more than ever that the timing is right. And um, again, I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to do this through the Calm Collective vehicle. And uh, I believe that uh, there are no coincidences and that in some way this conversation between you and I and the listeners is divinely guided. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Anna. So... I'd like you to have as much control as you want today because it's your story. So how would you like to begin? Uh, well, perhaps I'd just begin at the beginning. Um, so when I was a young girl, I, you know, I grew up in a family that um, was, you know, I'm, I'm Asian and my father's Caucasian, very typical Eurasian family, several generations living under one roof. Um, my father was in the military, and because of that, he traveled often. And there were times when he was away for six months at a time. And one of the things he felt was good was that having a lot of different members of the household together was that, you know, we were never really alone when he was alone for that long. I think he felt, he felt a sense of security, knowing that someone would be there to help my mom. Um, but... What transpired during those times when my father was away was something, you know, that changed and impacted my life and the life of my sister forever. And it was when um, uh, my grandfather and our uncle had started to um, 
molest us. And we were about, I was about seven. And my sister, who was a year younger, um, I don't recall exactly when, because we actually never talked about it or addressed it to each other. Uh, I will share later on how it all came about and out in the open. But uh, it started back then. And being raised in this kind of a culture where you respect your elders, you never question authority, and anyone that was older than you, you call auntie or uncle or grandmother or grandfather or, or, um, or big sister or big brother, you know, you were really at the mercy of a lot of other people in within your immediate family and your extended family. And um, this happened for, I would say about four years on and off. And when my father's role changed and he decided that he didn't want to go away anymore, um, my parents found uh, the relatives who were staying with us another home and that way my father he just wanted to have his privacy back with the family and that's when actually everything stopped because of that um so if i fast forward several years i hadn't really spoken about this to anybody uh there was a friend in school who was i was about 11 or 12 and she and her sister were very close to me and my sister. And one day she came into school very upset and said, I'm being taken away from my family. And I said, what happened? And she explained that her stepfather had been molesting she and her sister. And the mother found out, of course, and child social services came and took them away from the home. They had a little brother at the time who stayed with the mother. And this was the first time anyone had ever mentioned any of this to me. So it was a very strong trigger internally for me, even though I wasn't sure what I was feeling. But my first thought was, oh my gosh, this happens to other people. And oh my gosh, they spoke up and now their family's broken. And she and her sister had to go to foster homes. And I think, although I wasn't conscientious of it, at that time I made a decision that I was never ever going to share this with anyone for fear of being that person to break up my family. And um, I just, again, I just never thought about it after that. Um, I stayed by my friend as long as I could, and uh, they eventually were able to go back home after their stepfather was put into jail. And it took a while, and, and then we left, we left Hawaii. I was in Hawaii at the time where I grew up, and uh, we lost touch. But her sharing changed how I felt. It, it actually, in some ways, I think it was a catalyst for me coming out of my numbness. I think in some ways I just repressed it. And if I fast forward a few more years after that, when I was in university, something came out again where I was waiting tables uh, at a restaurant and had met some really great people, you know, and side job in uni, you know, you've got, you got to hustle, you got things to do. You, you know, your parents may be able to give you some money, your scholarship money can take you so far, but, you know, ultimately, you know, you want to work. It's also a way of being social and earning something for yourself. So I had two waitressing jobs in uni and met some great people. And I met this really great guy uh, who, he and I became fast friends. I immediately trusted him. Don't know why. 
really just fun-loving, very honest, sincere. And one day, we're at the bar counting our tips at the end of the evening. And, you know, at the end of the evening, bartender or the manager would usually give you a drink, you know, and say, okay, well, you know, you're all, you're all 21, fine, we'll just, you know, you can have a glass of wine. And out of the blue, and I'd known him already for about six months, out of the blue, he looks at me and he says, you're a survivor, aren't you? And um, I'd never heard this term before, but I looked back at him and witnessed in his face a level of compassion and empathy that I'd never seen before. And I, even though I didn't know what he meant, I knew what he meant. And I said, how did you know? And he said, oh, you just have this something about you, Anna, and I could just tell that you were someone like me. And since then, we became the closest and best of friends. And he is the first person that I actually shared my experience with, talked about it out loud, and he shared his experience with me. And um, we just took, we kind of took care of each other. We looked after each other. And it was through him that I was able to really just expel all those feelings uh, over the years of shame, of betrayal, of just not feeling worthy and good enough. And I didn't understand what all that was. I just didn't, I didn't have the level of self-awareness. But I also saw in him some tendencies, some negative tendencies or behaviors within myself. And we were kind of each other's mirrors. Uh, it was at that same restaurant where we also met some other people. And it's just strange how life is, you know, you have one catalyst. There was another woman uh, who also waited tables at the restaurant. It came in, and we also became friends. And at one point, she also revealed to me that she was a survivor and how she had run away from home uh, to go live in a nunnery uh, where she asked them to take her in because she wanted to be sheltered from what was happening at home. And, uh, you know, I, I had the first time again I'd ever heard of this. And she did something that profoundly changed my life thereafter as well, in a positive way. And I, this I explain because it was a catalyst towards deeper self-awareness and healing. And she introduced me to a book called I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. It's an autobiography by Maya Angelou, uh, and her story basically of rape and being becoming pregnant as a teenager and severe emotional, physical, sexual abuse. And she said, this book changed my life and it helped me, Anna. And I'm passing it on to you because it was given to me. And I still have that book today. Uh, so I, I guess in some ways, that's, my, that's kind of my beginning where there was the event and I tried to push it away and shove it down. And then there was a realization. And uh, shortly after Tabitha gave me that book, um, uh, my sister, I had found out um, she had tried to commit suicide. 
and I didn't realize uh, what was going on because she wasn't living with us at the time, but a friend had noticed. And what happened was that in her months of being essentially put into an institution where she could have professional help, it came out through counseling that uh, she um, that she was also abused. And my parents were naturally devastated. Uh, and I was upset because I had kept this a secret for so long, and I was okay with keeping it a secret. I was shocked that my sister, that the depth of what she had experienced, I feel was a lot more severe and worse than what I had experienced. Um, but it was that also that shame of thinking, I couldn't protect you and I didn't protect you as your older sister. Can I ask, what's your age difference and how old was she at that point? Uh, we are only one year apart. And um, so, I, sorry, I actually, I take that back I'm in my recollection. She was just in, I was my first year uni and she was in her last year of secondary school. Yeah. And my mother was pregnant with my brother at the time. So it was tough because everything came out at a time when my mom's health was, you know, fragile. She was only six months pregnant with my our youngest brother. And I was so worried that she was going to miscarry from the, from the, just the trauma of everything. Um, yeah, but uh, it was that, it was that thing that as a family tore us apart, but also brought us together. How did your parents react to finding all of this? And I'm sure there's a lot of emotions mixed in to the picture, especially guilt. Well, my father was naturally furious. Um, I mean, enraged. He's a pretty even keel guy, and I had never ever seen him this enraged. And thankfully at the time we had left Hawaii, because I think if we had still lived in Hawaii, my father actually might have gone to prison for some horrible things, for doing horrible things to them. Um, my mother was, she was just devastated. I mean, just beyond belief. I, I, I had never ever also seen her, she's a very, very strong woman. I had never ever seen her in a state where I, I just, I felt like she looked so helpless. Um, and they didn't know what to do. I, you know, they didn't know what to do because I think they were so wrapped up in the emotion of everything and also having my mother being pregnant um, and just it being so foreign, you know, like you, we were a strong Catholic family, you know, um, my parents were very religious, my mother is very devout Catholic and, you know, realizing that it was your own father and your brother that did this to your daughters was really, I think it just shook her to her core. I don't think she's ever fully recovered, to be honest. Even though she chose to stay in touch with them afterwards, I think she, I don't think she's ever recovered. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. So once kind of your family found out about it, learned about what you and your sister went through. Can you describe how you moved forward with that information? Uh, well, essentially, we, we first um, had someone come in and offer to do family counseling. And at the time, it was difficult because 
we hadn't talked about it for so long and I hadn't I did not do well I didn't want to talk to anybody let alone some stranger you know in a room on a sofa and you know I, I just why you know I had been living with it for so long I was okay and um and so it was tough and my parents naturally also didn't know what to do so the counseling actually didn't really make much of a dent as a family unit because as a family unit we actually didn't talk about a lot of things like that you know I mean um yeah we just didn't have that kind of connection and bond so I think my parents ended up staying and going through the therapy just as parents themselves and then when my, when my brother came along there wasn't much time for that because we had a newborn in the house um, my sister continued and I, I believe that um, at the time therapy really helped her I'm not really sure how, to what extent today but I think initially it was a huge catalyst for her it helped her to release a lot of things that have been kind of festering inside um, but that, as a first step that was the first step and it took some tries to get it right <laughs> yeah I, I again must be so difficult to go through something like that as a family and I think it's exacerbated with the culture of not talking about these heavy things especially in an I, I don't again for Asian culture right there is this things are not spoken about and therefore how do we heal when we don't speak about things? Um, can I ask then, how did you move forward um, over the years in, in terms of coping with this? Uh, wow. Um, it was trial and error. <laughs> I think part of it uh, was finding and recognizing the people who truly understood me and that, I've, that I knew could support me and have the strength to know that this had happened and to know that, you know, I was going to be okay, but I really needed people strong enough to understand and to, um, and patient, really patient with me. Um, I also... I also began this journey of self-awareness and it was a long, arduous journey in the sense that uh, sort of these moments, you know, where you, these moments where you go from finding something out about yourself and then you feel a strength in that and then finding out something else. And it was very much crest and trough. And, you know, in, in between those moments in my life. I had great highs, you know, I had great highs in what I was studying at school and how I did. I had great highs in relationships and friendships. But I also believe that there's a lot of element of distraction in there where I thought I was ready to deal with some things and I wasn't quite. But just being aware and beginning that self-awareness of when I felt like there was something off, when I felt like... I don't know why, but I'm not comfortable with this. I don't know why, but I'm not comfortable with this person, this situation. That, I think, was how the healing really started. It was knowing that I didn't know what it was, but I felt that something was not right. 
Um, and once I understood that there was that feeling there, it was an understanding why it was there. You know, was it related to a situation or the person or um, or specific event? And through different relationships and friendships, I learned to see patterns of my behavior. You know, people that either mirrored, mirrored my behavior or people who triggered me in a way to either retract um, or and run away or to stay, but stay because I didn't feel like I was worthy of being able to leave. You know, I... That's why I say it was. That's why I say it was a long, arduous journey. Yeah, I've read a lot about how when one goes through traumatic experiences, you develop kind of coping mechanisms at work for that situation, and we carry that with us, as you say, like patterns. They might not serve us anymore in the future when we're no longer facing that trauma, but it's so ingrained. You would be hardwired to survive in that way. Um, Aside from, you know, that feeling of withdrawing from situations or, um, you know, feeling like you're not worthy enough, how else do you feel that your experiences as a child affected you as an adult? I feel that first, um, they helped me to develop an acute awareness of my environment in that... I didn't realize it, but I had suffered from PTSD. <laughs> and that kind of, over those four years, it was that constant scanning, even unconscious scanning of my environment to see if there were any potential threats. Um, you know, my mother had said to me, she found out that, um, she realized that when I was younger, I had this strange habit. Every once in a while, in the morning, she'd open my door and I wouldn't be in my room. But she'd find me in the bathroom. And I would have fallen asleep or on the floor or in the bathtub with the lights on. And I didn't understand this back then, but I understood it as I got older when I got into therapy. And the reason that I did that was because I, in a bathroom, which are typically is much smaller, I could see all four walls. I could see exactly who was around me, who was in the room with me, and with the lights on, I knew that even if I closed my eyes and I opened them, I could, I could see who was there. And she said, you were doing that because you didn't know how else to feel safe as a child. So you tried to control your environment. I think that's one thing that came out of that, that always trying to control your environment, looking out for, looking out for potential threats. So that was one way that I was impacted. I think it also impacted my ability to trust people and form deep and intimate relationships. Because when that happens, you're always questioning what people's motives are. You're always questioning, why does this person want to be friends with me? And you know that when a lot of trauma survivors are people that have developed incredibly low self-esteem, no sense of self, feeling like they're unlovable, feeling like in some ways they caused this to happen to them, feeling responsible for anything that may have happened to their siblings or other people that were involved. So those types of people tend to find it hard to justify in themselves why anyone would want to be friends with them or love them, 
even though those people may have the best intentions and may have demonstrated, if you don't know what real love is or what it is like to be truly cared for, how will you recognize it when it's in front of your face? So that's a second way that it impacted my relationships, is that inability to allow myself to be loved and to... I was able to give love in a way because I so needed it and that constant need for approval. Um, but I didn't realize back then that I was doing it because I so desperately needed it back. Um, so that was, I'd say, a second way that it, it, it affected me. And a third way, I think, is, um, is it, it helped me to, yeah, again, just begin to analyze, I think overanalyze in some ways, situations, you know, where I was always trying, I've always felt like, well, if I can figure out what people's motivations are, like, why would they want to do this? And I was always so risk aversive, but I was always willing to explore to say, well, okay, maybe if I can tick the boxes on what all the potential risks are, and if everything is okay, then I could do this. Not really understanding that it involves, you know, it involves so much more. There's complexity of people and emotions and behaviors and their, whatever they bring into your relationship or your friendship, you know, whether it's a working relationship, an intimate relationship, a friendship. And um, yes, that level of uh, discernment also, it was really Im impacted me, not, I think, not having the right level of discernment at the right time. How did you start to connect these dots to your past? I, I, I know you mentioned earlier you have this tendency to be introspective, to really analyze. Was it really something that came out of your, yourself or through professional help? Um... It came out through both. I would say primarily um, after I got married, um, I knew that I needed help. Like I knew that I really needed to speak to someone professionally. And, and I did explain this to my ex-husband. I said, look, you know, and he knew we were, we were, we were high school sweethearts. He knew what happened. And he was enraged by it as well. I mean, infuriated. Uh, but he came from a family that was very open, always spoke about things, uh, European, you know, uh, everything let's put out on the table, we can solve this as a family type of culture, family culture. So I think with the best intentions, he thought he could just essentially be like a therapist to me. And he said, you know, let's sit down, let's talk about this and tell me how you feel. And as much as we tried, I realized it wasn't working. So I, I said, look, we, I, I need to speak to somebody. And um, I think through going through that therapy helped me to then begin to see those patterns. Because naturally, my therapist delved in and questioned and, and helped me to observe and also uh, identify those patterns of behavior. She helped me to analyze specific situations in my life that I found stressful or that were triggers and then to look back and say okay well why do you think that happened and why do you think you acted the way you did like looking back to it now now that you can take the emotion out of it a little bit the sting what was there and that was very powerful I'm glad you were able to find a good therapist to really take you through all of this objectively yeah she was amazing yeah 
how do you think that trauma affects people in general in their relationships as they become adults? One way uh, is that these people that have, you know, when we, when we have a very low sense of self and self-esteem, we tend to look externally for validation of who we are, of validation of feeling lovable and worthy. Um, we tend to either turn towards other people for that, or we tend to toward, turn towards objects, things, you know, that's how, you know, addictions will form. And one thing that I noticed in some of my earlier relationships was that I was looking to fill a part of that void in myself through other people. And what happened sometimes is that I would choose the wrong people. Uh, instead of choosing the people that I thought really cared about me, I didn't have that discernment, that judgment. And I would tend to choose people that actually liked having that power over me. And then I'd end, I'd end up being in a very codependent relationship or a relationship with someone who was very narcissistic. And when they saw that I had no level of self-esteem, it's something that was just this vicious cycle where I fed into that and that fed back into me where I've, and um, it was, it, it could end up just destroying your self-confidence, what little you have even more. And if you don't have people around you to help you realize that you're in that kind of situation, depending on the type of relationship, it could also develop into a violent relationship. And um, I had also been in a relationship like that where, thankfully, I had friends around me that helped me to get out of it because they saw what was happening that I couldn't see. And I've seen in other people as well and friends that inability to leave a relationship where they're where they are being physically abused or emotionally abused because they had no sense of self. They have no confidence that they would ever be able to make it on their own, that they would have anyone to go to. And I want people, your listeners, to understand that there's always another way. There's always absolutely an option. And those types of relationships are the ones that we need to get out of very quickly, especially if you are in one where you have a child. Because the danger of being in those types of relationships, especially when you have children, is harm coming not just to you but to them. Or if they're older and witnessing what's happening, growing up thinking that that's what a healthy relationship looks like and leaving that legacy of, oh, it's normal for these two people to do these things to each other. This is what they do when you care about each other. And obviously it's not. So I think that's something else that I wanted to make sure that um, I, I expressed my concern about. So you've told us a part of kind of a big part of the your story already. I want to kind of move on to the healing part, which is a very integral part of your story as well. Um, what does healing from trauma look like? Hmm. Wow, what a question. <laughs> um, I believe that it's different for everybody, but for me, healing from trauma meant 
that I was able to listen to other people's stories without being really emotionally triggered in the way that I used to be. Like, I used to get irate. I feel this anger inside of this injustice to these children. Um, and to also be able to step out of myself for a little bit and observe and to see when I was beginning to elicit a response that was similar to a response from before. It was, there were moments where I remember someone that I dated for a while had said to me in frustration, why won't you let me just love you? You know, she's so like, you know, and um, it was moments like that where I thought, wow, am I doing that? Like, am I really just pushing this person away? And he had said to me, you don't realize how much you do, you know, and he knew my story. We were very, very close. And, um, he was someone that also had wanted to help me and didn't know how, you know? So I think I also began to heal and seeing other people and other people's desire, willingness, compassion, really wanting to help and to support and to understand. And I think that was also an amazing part of the beginning of that healing journey too, was just to realize that there are people out there that love and care about you and they want to help you but they also need to know how to help you. And it's sometimes it's not about the person it, it telling you, it's about maybe the other person being given guidance or references to read and to be able to look at it independent of you. You know, um, my, my ex-husband had the best intentions in trying to help me, uh, but I just don't think he was equipped to. What? has been helpful for you, for your support system to properly make you feel like you were supported? Oh, wow. Um, I would say primarily the people in my life that truly care about me, to be able to hold my hands during those moments, uh, especially moments where I'd have a trigger and I thought I was okay, and being able to say, it's okay, you know, I understand why. And even as a friend, but even if there was indirect um, anger at them or being a little bit irritable towards them, them being highly aware people, self-aware people to observe me and to know my history and to know that was likely a trigger for her. And I know that it wasn't part of me and having that compassion. So I'd say that would be one thing. And, um, doing a lot more journaling and, again, going back to understanding the root, writing down things that had triggered me or just, or, or talking, talking out loud or just calling up a friend and saying, something just happened and I just kind of need to, I need to vent, is it okay? Um, a lot of journaling, a lot of, I took up uh, hobbies, I did a lot of painting I was an art major, so I delved into my painting. I, I immersed myself in um, walks in nature. And then when I learned how to meditate, I immersed myself in mindfulness and meditation. And then that became a consistent anchor. Mm. 
Can I ask the opposite question? In your relationships, what has not been helpful for you in terms of someone wanting to support you, but actually just didn't quite give you the support that you needed? Hmm. I would say it's those people that felt like they could just put a Band-Aid on something and... Um, and say, oh, well, you know, you're going to be okay. You're a strong person. Look at how much you've overcome. You'll be fine, you know. Um, I, f- I feel like there's a little bit of denial in, you know, those people and maybe their own fear of maybe realizing something, maybe something within themselves. I think for some friends it triggered some of their own um, well, I, I think it's a human nature, I guess, to feel uncomfortable with discomfort, with anything that makes things sad. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us aren't equipped, right, to sit with sadness or to sit with pain. Yeah. And I'm sure you, on the other hand, have a lot of experience with that. And uh, some people just not having the life experience to, to go to know what to yeah. say, what to do, right? Yeah. I, you know, in recollecting, Alyssa, I had friends who were so angry. I had one friend who was so angry about what happened to me. <laughs> he had, um, it was, it was the craziest thing I'd ever heard, but he had told me about these soldiers of fortune. And I said, what is a soldier of fortune? He says, they're mercenaries. You can actually hire them to wipe out people. And I looked at him like, you've been watching way too many movies or reading too many. He's, <laughs> and, uh, he had said to me, I know people and I can make those people that did those things go, like, go away. And I looked at him like, you, are, you, are you crazy? And, um, and I think in the way that he was trying to be helpful, obviously he wasn't. And I said, look, wiping out people that do bad things to other people is not going to heal the trauma and those pain and the pain of those people. I said, it's, you know, um, so I think that kind of misdirected anger, that desire to kind of like save you, um, was not really helpful, although it was great to know that someone was so passionate about wanting you to get better. Yeah, but I thought that kind of yeah, <laughs> indirected <laughs> anger. <laughs> maybe he had watched like Taken or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, as a single mother, mm-hmm. how did you pass on kind of the lessons, the learnings that you've uh, learned throughout your journey of healing and I, I know I've, I've read a lot about how trauma is something that when you look through history it can be passed down just from generation to generation if there's not active healing what have you done as a parent and, and even more so as a single parent um, to take the, the lessons of active healing to your daughter or to the next generation in general I would say the first thing is to not hide behind it, um, to not be ashamed of it, to not sweep it under the rug anymore. It's to tell the story. Um, with my daughter, she's going to be 15 soon. She knows what's happened. And I had to tell her because I wanted her to understand why sometimes my behavior is the way it is in being a bit protective of her 
and in, and encouraging her to be very discerning um, about who she spends her time with, how she spends her time with them, and just to also be, you know, to be mindful of how she feels around people and to always trust that intuitive feeling. If you're feeling inside like something is not right, uh, then speak up or act. And don't ever feel that just because somebody is older than you or is an authority figure, that they have in any way any right to do anything to you that makes you feel uncomfortable. And that no matter how old you are, you have the right to say no and stop. That was one thing that I, I wanted her to learn first and foremost. And within my family, my, you know, my brother and I are very, very, very close. And he is aware of everything that's happened. Um, and unfortunately, all this has had a very negative impact on my younger sister. I don't think she's ever fully healed. I think she still holds a lot of anger towards my family for what happened. I also know for a fact that my mother has not yet addressed the fact that she was also abused and she's still battling with those things as, you know, someone in her 70s now. And it's that generation where I don't think she'll ever truly admit it. So how I'm healing the next generation is by talking about it and by saying this is not about blame. It's about bringing this to the surface to help us all be aware of what's going on around us, to be aware of each other's behaviors and changes in behaviors. You know, be mindful of your children, your nieces and your nephews. Um, be mindful of people that come into your environment. Um, just don't look at people with a don't look at people with a discerning eye, so to speak. But just, you know, use your intuition. Get to know people. Ask questions about. Great. So you want to spend time with my children, you know, and you're doing, you know, I do your homework. Just do your homework. Don't be an active, active parent in your children's lives by just, you know, checking up. I believe in the goodness of people. I still believe in the goodness of people, Alyssa. But I'm also just careful. I'm careful now, you know? Yeah. At what point did you feel it was the right time to tell your daughter your story? At the time I was doing this podcast. Really? Yeah, this was the catalyst. How, how did she react? Oh, wow. It was a very emotional, it was a very, very emotional day. Um, she had known something had happened. Uh, it was referred to the last time we were home and we were with our family. Um, she wasn't quite sure, but she knew that it was pretty bad and something that happened when, when we were much younger than her. And she, she just held me and she cried and she said, I'm so sorry, mom. <laughs> and I said, you know, I said, I hope you understand now why I've done the things that I've done and why I am the way that I am sometimes, you know. It's not, a, it's not out, of, out of any intention to control you. Uh, it's just out of wanting to just be aware and to help you be aware and to help you feel that you are worthy. No one can take that away from you. No one can ever make you feel that way. Um, 
that you have the power to change how you feel. You have the power to you have the power to dictate who and what comes into your life. And you have the power to decide when you're going to let people and things and situations go from your life. And I want, you know, her to have that self-awareness. Yeah. Those are really powerful lessons. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We have a question that we ask everyone at the end. And I know you have a lot to say about this. How do you find calm for yourself? I find calm for myself first in sitting alone with myself. I, I go to a place in my head where I tend to practice my mindfulness, where I know I'm going to be able to shut out external stimuli and noise and just be able to sit and think of nothing for a little bit and just to see what thoughts come in and out. That's one way. Another way is to go, to go and be in nature. Go for a cycle, go for a run, go for a walk, sit under a tree. Um, another way is to reach for books and podcasts that inspire me. Do you have any particular you'd like to tell our listeners that they should go read or listen to? Uh, well, definitely I know why the cage bird sings. For anyone that is experiencing any type of abuse or trauma in their lives, domestic violence, anything, I would say, that book, um, it was incredibly disturbing to read it, but it was also incredibly powerful in that I realized I was not alone. Uh, I listened to Jay Shetty all the time. He was one of the, f when he first started his podcast, I was one of the people that started listening to him, and I just really believe in his message and how he's trying to, you know, create a better world. Um, obviously, Calm Collective is one that I started listening to very recently. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I would say those those uh, references are probably the ones that come out the top of my head that are regulars. And um, there are two other books uh, that I referenced when I was going through therapy. One is called The Courage to Heal. And another one is called Outgrowing the Pain. The Courage to Heal is a book for adult survivors of incest, uh, specifically for women. And Outgrowing the Pain is for adult survivors for male and female. But those books also have really good exercises, introspective exercises. And they also help you to understand through case studies um, what other people had experienced to also understand that you're not alone and there are people that have overcome and you can and you will too. We'll link all those in the show notes below this podcast. <laughs> Anna, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story so bravely, so eloquently. Thank, thank you. you so much. Um, and I would like, if it's okay, to leave uh, your listeners with a quote uh, that I think is very much related to today's, my sharing my story with you. And it is by Maya Angelou. There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. So have the courage to tell your story. Find people that are going to help you to be the voice if you can't find the courage in yourself first. But get that story out of you because it's worth listening to. 
Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Calm Conversations. If you liked today's conversation, make sure to follow this podcast. We have a lot more interesting conversations lined up, dealing with many different aspects of mental health from an Asian cultural lens. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Telegram, or Facebook to find out when we're releasing our next podcast episode or hosting our next talk. You can look us up as Calm Collective Asia or go to our website www.calmcollective.asia. This podcast is supported by the National Youth Council, the Youth Action Challenge, and Youth Collab. Also, a huge thank you to Snakeweed Studios who are helping us record and produce this podcast. See you next time. Until then, stay calm.